uh, if you would turn in your Bibles with me to Genesis chapter 17. We're going to be continuing our series here. Genesis 17 verses 1 through 8. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham." For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into into nations, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generation for an everlasting covenant, to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojourning, All the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. Uh, We have something peculiar in our culture. Whenever we go to name a child, we're sort of reminded of how many people we don't want to be associated with. If, if you've ever gone through that process of naming your child, you, you kind of set up the list and you start to go through and, and you say, ooh, what about this name? No, no, I, I had a classmate and, and he was kind of weird, so I don't want to name my kid after him. Well, what about this name? Well, my cousin has already picked out that name for her child, so we can't take it. Well, what about this name? And you start to sort of narrow down what you would name your child. And what I found here in America, at least, is we tend to name our kids either after family members or we tend to name our kids or try to name our kids a unique name. Has anyone ever done that? You, you want to name your kid a special, unique name that nobody else could ever possibly think of. And then what happens? Other people have thought of that very unique name. So when I was born, I had the name Joshua. And my parents thought, well, we don't know many Joshuas. That should be fairly unique. And as I grow up, uh, as I get into middle school and high school, uh, we had six other Joshuas just in my grade. And in fact, there was another one with a very similar name of mine. His was Joshua Anderson. Mine is Joshua Henderson. And so whenever the intercom would ask for one of us to come to the office, we would just go because it would be Joshua Anderson, please come to the office. We would both assume it was us and then get there and find out who it was. And then when we graduated, we thought, all right, there's enough of that. My sister-in-law ended up marrying him. So now he's in the family with a very similar name. So we always try to pick names that are unique, and we also try to pick names that have meaning. When we named our kids, Eden, Jude, and Esther, we picked out names that we felt had, had biblical meaning to them. For Eden, it was after the garden, that means delight. After Jude, it was the apostle, not the Beatles song. And then for Esther, it was after the queen. And so we named all of our kids what we thought were very special names. And then we went to Nigeria. And we met some children in Nigeria. If you think you have good names for your kid, they had names like Victory, Dominion, 
my best friend there, his shortened name is Chidi, but his full name, I, I can't pronounce it, he's never made me try, but its meaning is, as the eagle flies. So, I, you know, names are very important in our culture. We try to make them unique and we try to give them meaning. In the culture of Genesis, though, your name was directly tied to your destiny. So you didn't just pick a haphazard name that you thought was good. You might pick a name of one of your relatives or forefathers that you wanted to stay within the family, but you didn't just pick it because it sounded good. You picked it because it had meaning. It had eternal meaning. It had meaning on that person's life. And so with somebody like Abram, there's some irony to the meaning of his name. Terah named his son Abram because it means exalted father. So when Terah would have looked at his son and said, I want to name this boy Abram, he was thinking, I want this boy to go on and have children, and I want him to be such a good father that everybody would look to him as the father to model their lives after. But there's a problem. Abram might have that name, Exalted Father, but he's now 99 years old, and he's not a father. He's 99 years old, and he has the name Exalted Father with no kids to model his name after. 24 years after God has promised him a child. Now, what we see in chapter 16 is that he does have a child with Hagar, but now he is waiting for God's promise to be fulfilled with a child through Sarah. And so, Abram has been waiting 24 years for this promise of multiple children, for this promise of, an of, a, of a descendants that he can give this land to. And nothing has come about yet. And then one day, God approaches and if you look in this verse, it says, The Lord God approached Abram. And when he approaches Abram, he calls himself God Almighty. So two things you need to know about that. The first is that God gives himself one name but multiple titles. And so the writer knows who this is, and he uses God's official name, Yahweh, which we now translate into Lord. So every time you see that, God is using his official name. And so we know that it's the Lord approaching, but what we also know is that God's name is incredibly holy. God's name is incredibly profound. In fact, and it's no offense to the songwriter of the last song we just sang because we use God's name in there, we don't even know if that's the proper way to pronounce his name. It is that holy, it is that profound, it is that amazing of a name that when God says it, we're not quite sure how to say it back. And God approaches with that name, and then he approaches with his title, El Shaddai, which is God Almighty. That one is pretty self-explanatory. He is God, and he is mighty. He can do whatever he wants. As we're through 17 chapters of Genesis, you have probably caught on. God can do whatever he wants to do. And so when he approaches Abram, he gives him this name, I am El Shaddai, I am God Almighty. And then he gives him this command, 
Walk before me. And, and that's, not, that's not a haphazard command. That is not just a random statement that he has given to Abram. He's inviting Abram into a continual relationship. He's saying, Abram, as long as you live, I want you to walk beside me so that where I go, you will be right there following along with me so that where I head in the direction that I want us to get to, you will be there following right alongside of me. And what you'll see throughout the rest of the Old and New Testament is this constant call from God on his people to walk beside him. In fact, when Jesus first meets his disciples, he says, come follow me. And what he says to his disciples means, I want you to be right alongside of me. I want you to follow me wherever I go. And so when God gives this command to Abram, it's a continued invitation into a covenant that he's already established with them. But it's a reminder, Abram, this isn't a one-time thing. This isn't... This isn't a, you move to this land and then have a child and we're done. This is a lifelong journey that I'm going to have with you and everyone that comes after you. And so when he gives this command, walk before me, I laugh a little bit because Abram's first response is to fall on the floor. Not to walk with God, but to just lay down prostrate. And the reason he does this is probably, one, because God is there. And there's the belief that God is so holy that if you were to physically see him, you couldn't handle it and you could die. And so Abram is sort of like, I didn't see anything, God. Don't kill me. But then also, it's a reception into what God has to offer. Because he's bowing as low as he can with his face in the ground, with his body on the ground, laying flat, what he's saying to God is, whatever you want me to do, I am your servant. I am below your feet, God. You call me to do it, and I will follow. And so when God gives this invitation into this continued covenant, this relationship, he then gives his promise once again that Abram will have a multitude of people. We saw this back in Genesis chapter 15. He says, you're going to have so many descendants, you're not going to be able to count them. He even invites them out of the tent and says, look up at the stars. Can you see the stars? And, and Abram says, yeah, I can see the stars. And he says, try to count the stars. Go ahead, I'll wait. You just start to count the stars. And then Abram starts to count them, and I imagine loses count and starts over and begins to count again over and over and over until finally he gets the idea that he's going to have that many descendants. That if you tried to name and number his descendants, you're going to lose count and you're going to want to start back over. God reaffirms this covenant with Abram and says, you're going to have a multitude of descendants. I said it to you 24 years ago. I said it to you 10 years ago. Now I say to you again, you're going to have a multitude of descendants. Oh, by the way, not only is this a multitude of descendants that are going to receive the land that I promised you, but they're also going to be their own nation. They're not going to uh, they're not going to be an annex of another nation. They're not going to serve Egypt. They're not going to serve the Assyrians. They're not going to serve any other tribe that comes through. You will be your own nation. You will be your own people. Oh, by the way, not just your own people, you're going to have kings. You're going to have kings that are going to come from you that other people are going to hear about. And so now God is not only reaffirming the promise that he gave Abram, but now he is, is opening up all that that promise means. Abram is not just going to have a son with many 
offspring. He is going to have a son with a multitude of offspring that are going to be great. They're going to take over the land. They're going to be kings. They're going to be conquerors. This land will be theirs. Now, for Abram, that means something because of his name. His name is Exalted Father. So once again, once again, his name is coming into play. Remember, 24 years prior, God approached him and said, you're going to have descendants, just follow me to this land. Sometime before this time, God says it again, uh, Genesis 15. And, and, and the whole time, I think Abram is thinking, good, now I can live up to my name. Now I can live out the name Exalted Father. God has promised me once again that the name my father Terra gave me is going to be fulfilled in my life. But God does something very interesting. To affirm his promise, he takes away Abram's name and gives him a new one. It's very interesting because in my opinion, which God has never asked for, but in my opinion, you would want Abram to keep his name because it means exalted father. Father means you're going to have a child. That assumes they're going to have a child and you're going to have a multitude of nations. That's fine. And it means father, which is what he wants to be and which you want him to be. So exalted father is a perfect name. God, just make your promise and go ahead and affirm that with Abram and he can keep his name and now he can live uh, until he sees his child. That's perfect, right? But God isn't content with that. He wants to change Abram's name so that Abram understands it is God who controls his destiny, not Abram himself. Because remember what he did just a chapter earlier? Him and Sarai devised a plan that he would be an exalted father and God would use his plan for a multitude of nations. And God said, hold on, that's not my plan. Hold on, that's not what I want you to do. You're hurting people in this process. God has a plan for Abram and God is going to be in charge of that plan. He changes Abram's name so that he can have a new identity. So he changes his name from Abram. He adds to it and says, you are now Abraham, which means father of a multitude. What did God just promise Abraham? He was going to be a father of a multitude. Now he's saying, every time your name is called out, you're going to remember that I have promised you that you're going to be a father of a multitude. Every time your name is said, people aren't going to laugh anymore. You see, when he was Abram and he didn't have any kids, people probably snickered. Because here he is in his 90s, and people say, what's your name? And he says, well, my name is, uh, is Abram. Doesn't that mean exalted father? That, that, that does. Well, do you have any kids? No. For Abram, that that was an embarrassment. That might have been a shame. That might have been something that he knew he couldn't live up to and he was waiting for God to give him this promise. Now God has said, who cares about that name? I didn't give you that name. Your father did. That was your plan. That's what you're trying to live into. And he says, no longer is your name Abram. Now you have a name, father of a multitude. Now how can we trust God in all of this? How do we know that God is really going to do this for Abram? Go back to God's name. El Shaddai. God Almighty. 
He can do whatever he wants to do. If he wants to make Abraham a multitude of nations, he can do it. How do we know he will do it? Because he has a name that's so holy that you can't even pronounce it correctly. He has a name so holy that people in the Old Testament are afraid to say it out loud. He has a name that is so holy, that is so set apart from the ways of this world, that when we're called into it, we have our lives changed. You see, God is not content leaving you where you are. We believe in this church that you can come as you are. You do not have to get cleaned up before you walk in these doors. In fact, what we would say is if you're waiting to get your life together before you walk into the doors of this church, you're doing it wrong. Because you can't get your life together. Only God can do that. Come in as you are. Come with your problems. Come with your sin. Come before God in this place. But know this. God doesn't want to keep you as you are. God's intent in your life is to change you. God has a different plan for your life than what you think you might have for your life. So when you're called into this place and you're called before God the Father, you're going to change. And we know this because of the life of Jesus. One example I can think of where Jesus explicitly changes the name of one of his followers is with Simon Peter. When we first meet him in the opening of Matthew, his name is Simon, and he has brothers, and he has fellow fishermen that, that he fishes with, and then God calls him to follow him. He says, follow me, which by the way, that was a very literal term, come follow me. To be a disciple of Jesus meant that you walked literally behind them and you copied every move they made. So he says this to Simon and then jump ahead to Matthew chapter 16 and, and Peter is the one that is able to discern that Jesus is not just a teacher but he is the Christ, he is the Messiah, son of the living God. And Jesus turns to him and says, flesh has not revealed this to you but my Father in heaven. Therefore, I will change your name to Peter, which means rock. Which means Peter's life is going to be forever changed. He's not just Simon the fisherman anymore. He is now Peter, the rock of the confession of who Jesus is. Jesus was not content to keep any of his disciples exactly how he found them. His calling in their life was to bring them closer to God and fill them with the Holy Spirit to do God's work. When you encounter the living God, he is not only going to call you to follow him, he is going to change your life. And you're going to have moments in your life that God is going to reach out to you and say, I don't want you doing that anymore. You're going to have moments in your life where you were headed in this direction and God says, why, why don't you just hold off and I want you to go a completely different direction. And everyone around you is going to say, well, that doesn't make any sense. And then you can say, well, he's El Shaddai, God Almighty. He can do whatever he wants. God is going to do that in your life. Now, we don't require that you literally change your name. 
But there are some cultures that do that. I had a friend uh, when I was studying for the ministry. His name was Peter, and he came from South, uh, South Korea. And I asked him how he got the name Peter because he went by two different names. And he said that when he was baptized, his pastor approached him and said, as we approach your baptism date, I want you to consider picking a new name from the Bible. And I want you to go through and read which one that God is calling you to pick. And so every time Peter heard his name, he knew that was his new name in Jesus Christ. He might legally have his own name that he has to stick to with documents and so on, but he introduced himself to everyone there as Peter Hahn because he was a new creation in Jesus Christ. God wants your name to change just like that. God wants your identity to be different. Your identity should be so wrapped up in Jesus Christ, people around you are kind of annoyed with it. Your life should be so wrapped up in who God is that you can't help but find a reason to bring him up in daily conversations with others. You see, that's the new name that we have in Jesus. We might not actually have to change our name to something different, but we're called something else, aren't we? We're called Christian. That comes from Acts. The, we, uh, the followers of Jesus were first called Christians in the book of Acts. And I didn't know this until I, I looked it up just recently. The word Christian means soldier of Jesus or soldier of Christ. You have a new name called Christian where you are a soldier of Jesus Christ. You are out to do battle for God. Now, not necessarily on God's behalf, but God actually goes out before you and does the battle and you follow him along and you're in the midst of that. You're not just a Christian, a soldier of Jesus. You're a child of God, which means you are brought into the family of God in the same inheritance that Jesus has belongs to you. We get that from Ephesians and, and 1 John, that the riches of heaven that can be poured out and blessed over you is available because you are now a part of the family of God. In fact, the original saying for that would have been son of God, which simply means that the sons were the ones that were able to receive their, their inheritance in the household. And so when, when John and, and Paul give the name to all of the Christians, son of God, whether they're a man or a woman, what he's saying is you now have an inheritance that can only come from God the Father. And because you're in a relationship with his son, he will give you that inheritance. You're not only a child of God, you're an ambassador of Jesus Christ. You are a representative of the kingdom of heaven here on earth. You are in this world as if though Jesus is in this world, which means when people see your conduct in this world, what they should be seeing is what would Jesus do. And I don't just mean the bracelets that, that we wore however many years ago, but people should look at your life and say, there's something different about that. They're acting a little funny, aren't they? We had friends from Iran that said when they became Christians, people started to notice something different about them. And, and how they first became Christians was they were working with some Christians that were over there from America. And he finally spoke up. He said, can I ask you guys, why don't you lie? You haven't lied. I've never seen you cheat. I've never seen you gossip. And, and they were a little perplexed. And they said, well, it's because we're Christians. And he said, this is so different to me. I've never met anyone that never lied. 
That's the kind of identity that we have. An identity that goes into the world and people notice and say, did you have a name change? Did you, did you change your name recently? I know you're still going by your legal name that your parents gave you, but you're acting so different. It's as if though you went down to the courthouse and changed your name to something different. The question we're left with after this story in Genesis is, are you living out the new name that Jesus has given you? And by the way, Christian, child of God, ambassador, those are just a few names that we have in Jesus. The key is, are you living out a new identity in Jesus Christ? Have you divorced the old name that you've been called from and are you allowing God to change your life? Remember, what's his name? God Almighty. He can do whatever he wants. And if he's called you to walk in his ways and walk before him, and you are walking in his ways, I've got news for you. You're going to change. Whether you like it or not, God is changing your identity. Are you living it out in this world? Let's pray. God, we thank you for the new identity that you give us in your son, Jesus. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you would bring that to us, that you would let us know that we are changed, that we are a new creation. So God, we pray as we leave this place, you would remind us of our new name in you. You would remind us of the life that you've called us into. And God, we pray that you would give us the strength to live out that life. We pray that we wouldn't feel a heavy burden, but that we would understand that your yoke is easy and your burden is light. And so what you've called us to do, you will empower us to do. But God, what we pray is that our new name would be known, not just in our lives, but in others around us. That they would know that we are a Christian that we are your ambassador, that we are your child. Amen.